Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing at Pragmatic Marketing, and your host for this episode. Today, we have one of my favorite and most frequent guests. He's practically a co-host at this point, Dr. Mark Stiving who, as we all know, is a pricing expert, pragmatic marketing instructor, Buckeye fan, and pilot. Actually, Mark, is it official yet that you're a pilot? Uh, not quite, but within a couple weeks. Excellent. All right, Crash. Now that you've got a wide range, <laughs> <laughs> we know that you've got a wide range of experience, and we've talked um, about a whole lot of topics on this show together. But a lot of it seems to revolve around some of the your larger company experiences, and, and it's probably some of the stories I know you draw on most in class. But what many people don't know is that you are actually, in fact, an entrepreneur, that you start, you had your own startup, which you sold. Um, and it's that story that I want to dig in today because I want to share it with our audience and because I actually don't know that much about this history of this mysterious part of Mark. So I'm excited to dig in. I try to keep it secret, so let's not tell too many people. <laughs> this might not be the right avenue for that. Then. <laughs> All right. So let's kind of start with what was the genesis of the company? What problem were you solving and how did you really get into that space? So I guess the the beginning of this starts with my one of my best friends. His name is Brent. And uh, Brent, brilliant, brilliant uh, product manager. He was an applications engineer at a company and worked with me 25 years ago now. It was, I, I'm, not that I'm that old, but it was a long, long time ago. And he was pretty early on at Cisco. He did really well for himself. And he's, you know, he's, he's one of those engineering product people, super geeky, super nice. And what he decided to do one day is he said, look, I'm going to build a new house. He had this beautiful property in Los Altos Hills, but a really old kind of beat up house. Uh, there was a crack in the foundation and they would get water seeping through in the living room when it would rain up there. And he said, okay, let's go build a new house. And, and when they did this, he ripped that house down completely, started the new one and said, I'm gonna automate my new house. And he ended up renting an apartment and in his apartment he had put sensors up and he put wires up and and he had completely he made it so that he could walk anywhere in this house in this apartment and lights would turn on for him and turn off he had this um, flat panel display that would show him which rooms were occupied and unoccupied it was really cool and he had written all the software to do this he put all the pieces together he said this is really neat and he wanted to start a company around this idea one day we're flying to, I believe it was Turks and Caicos, we're in a little tiny prop plane bouncing along and he goes, Mark, would you consider coming out to help me start this company? And at the time I was a professor at Ohio State and Brent, one of my favorite people in the world and, and he's such a good guy, I, I said, yes. Now maybe I didn't say yes quite so quickly, but I did say yes eventually. And I moved back from Ohio to California so that he and I could start this company. And it, it was a fascinating thing. Um, if I could say, you know, I guess as we go through the lessons, we're going to say that there are, a lot, there, there are lessons to learn in what we went through. But possibly the first lesson is we didn't really solve a problem. 
Mm. So if you think about what he built, he built something that was really cool and he loved it. And we said, let's go build a product around this. And, and we ended up building a product and, and it didn't really solve a problem. Now, we tweaked it and we, we pivoted, which is the common word to use. We built things that were successful later. But if I were to say, wow, what's the first mistake? It's to say, hey, we didn't really do, we didn't do our market research. We didn't say, where's the problem to go solve? So one of the things I find interesting about this, Mark, is I think of you as very um, analytical in your approach to things, right? So I would not say you're risk adverse, but you're very informed before you take a risk. And this sounds a little bit that you were like, all right, let's go for it. <laughs> so that, that just intrigues me. Can you talk a little bit how you measured the risk or reward or really was it a force of personality, fun sounding project and you had the, the personal sort of bandwidth and opportunity to, to, to give it a try? So there was there is a risk reward conversation to have there. The risk side is what if it fails? Well, it turns out that we had done relatively well financially. So if if we didn't make an income for a couple of years, it really didn't matter. We were going to be okay. Uh, so that that wasn't going to hurt us. the The next question is, did I think it was going to succeed? And I have to say that my friend Brent, he oftentimes he feels like a golden child where almost everything he touches just succeeds. It does really, really well. Now, I, I got to say, looking back, I could probably point out a few things that he touched that didn't turn out to be gold, but a lot of things he touches really are. And I put a ton of faith in Brent and what he had put together and how we talked about it. Now, now we also did a bunch of research. I talked to a ton of people. Um, there, there really is a problem in that whole home automation space of control, which we could talk about a little bit later as we go through this. Uh, but, but in the end, I would say that I overweighted Brent's enthusiasm and optimism, believing that he was going to be successful at this, and I wanted to be part of it. That's fair. All right. Did you always go into this project thinking you would sell? Was that always the end game? No, we didn't have an end game in the sense that said, here's what the exit strategy looked like. Um, we were okay with an IPO. We were okay with selling, but we were, we did go into this with the attitude of we're about to grow a really big company uh, because we want to, we Look at today's world. We have things like Nest thermostats. Uh, we have cameras that are sitting up. Oh, the ring doorbell. We're automating our houses now. Mm -hmm. And and we were just way, way far ahead of that, not understanding what the real problems are, where the demand was, how we could get it into the marketplace. But we believed, and I still do believe, that houses are going to get more and more automation. And so how do you how do you be the front runner in that space. And, and so our thought was, this is going to end up being a huge opportunity. In fact, one of the things we often talked about was how do we sell this to Cisco? Hmm. And I say that in particular because Cisco had bought Linksys. And Linksys is all of a sudden they're going into the consumer space, the home space. And we're thinking if, if Cisco's trying to own the home, what we had put together really was going to give them the ability to do that. So that was a common thought that we had. Awesome. All right. So you have this big idea and this good partnership. 
How did you do? How did you? I mean, this is a this is not a a simple startup, right? Because you have a hardware component to it. You have a lot of tangible products. You need capital. You need people. How do you start? Well, it was pretty pretty brutal. Uh, luckily, as I mentioned, my friend Brent had done really well as well, and so he funded the company mostly. Uh, we ended up hiring some engineers and. I mentioned the one problem we solved or the one thing we did was what what we later called hands-free automation. How's that for a problem-oriented feature? Mm. Right? So hands-free automation says you can just walk through your house and you don't have to touch anything. Things just happen for you the way you want them to. And, and it was truly an amazing capability. The hardest part, though, is how do you program all this? And when we started the big companies in the business were Crestron, AMX, and in order to build a house that did anything similar to what we were doing, you actually hire a programmer that sits down and programs your house. So there isn't some configurable Mm -hmm. click here, click there. And one of the things we did was we built a configurable software application. I'd say it was probably the first one in the home automation space so that you didn't have to have a program or you could just say, I'm putting a light switch here. I'm putting a sensor here. Mm. We had it all set to set together so that we knew how to tie it together. Uh, you could say, here's the settings I want. Here's how sensitive I want the sensors to be. Here's how long I want the lights on. I mean, there's so many different settings that you could use, but still it was configurable. You didn't have to have a programmer to put it all together. So how long did it take you from idea, let's do this, um, moving from Ohio to California to you had a product that worked? Wow, we were, well, first off, understand we had a product that worked because it was working in Brent's house. Okay, all right. But we did. You had a prototype. We had a prototype. We did rewrite the software a couple times to make it better, more configurable, and... I would say it was probably two years from the time I left Ohio until we had a product to sell, a product that we were actually selling in the marketplace. Now, one of the keys to those two years was we didn't yet realize how hard this was going to be to sell. Mm. So once we had a product and it was time to sell it, the, the way you sell all of these home automation products is through what's called an integrator. An integrator is a company that goes out and finds a homeowner. Homeowner wants to automate his house. He ends up selling him all the electronics, installing it, putting it all together. Obviously, only rich people do this for customers. And integrators tend to be somewhat risk averse. They don't really want to go buy a new control system for a house because they already know how to program Crestron or AMX or something like that. We had to be able to prove that this stuff worked. And what we ended up doing was building our own integration company for the sole purpose of proving that this stuff worked. Wait, you built your own integration company? We built our own integration company. We, we went out and we hired a fantastic integrator, super experienced integrator. And he came in and we ended up hiring installers. We went, we hired a salesperson who went out and found um, rich people who were building houses so that we could sell our integration tools or sell our home control system. And we ended up installing so that we could prove that this stuff actually worked. 
Did you realize that you needed that at the end of the two years or somewhere in the process? Did you realize these integrators that existed today were going to be too risk averse and you could build them in parallel? So it was probably sometime during the two year period, but we didn't realize it until we went out and tried to sell it. Okay. Once we were ready to go sell and we went out and started talking to integrators, then it was obvious, oh, they don't want to take the risk. We thought what we were building for them, this configurable application, they would love this because suddenly you got rid of hours and hours of programming. And, and, and so the, we, weren't, we weren't prepared for the risk averseness. Must have been all those market visits that you had done with them. But <laughs> <laughs> so, Yes, exactly. Oh, all right. Well, that's it's interesting though because it's it's the it's the double market that you have, right? You you have the integrators and the end users, um, and remembering that when you have a product is really important, uh, and it's easy to focus on just one or the other, or easier yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. And to be fair, and I'm not sure if you want me to say this, but you know that I had not taken pragmatic yes. marketing. Prior well, we all know now. <laughs> <laughs> And and if I could step back and say, hey, how would we go do this differently? I might suggest starting with market visits. But okay, I get it. We we messed up. All right. So then you go, I don't have their their trust and they're risk adverse, so I need to demonstrate success in this. Let's build our own model. So then you build your own model, you get distributors, you have a salesperson who finds rich people. Tell me about the first sale. I'm not sure if I could remember the first sale. Uh, but there were a few, and and every single sale was challenging and difficult. Really? Every single one. Yes. Tell me more. I'm I'm about to ask people to do something to a million plus dollar investment that's never been done before, mm. and that's a little bit risky for the for the end customer. We had one end customer who ended up loving what we did. I mean, super fan. And he built an entire house without a light switch in it. Now that's trust. Yes, it is. <laughs> but but it was fascinating. And, and then we could talk about it. This this gentleman has no light switches, right? He could walk through his house and, and things just happen the way he expects it to. And he's got displays or computers at the time that he could use. And, and he could actually control anything in his house from his, from his computers and his displays. Wonder the resell of that house went like. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So you had some some original sales. Did it ever scale to the point where the there was enough critical mass to that each sale wasn't unique and troublesome? No. And so we ended up stop. We ended up not doing hands free automation anymore. But one of the things that was fascinating was we had built, as I mentioned, we built this configurable software application. And so it really did make things easy to control. You could control it from, this was before iPhones were out, but, but we had tablets that you could use. So you could control anything from a tablet, from a computer. And we knew that we'd be using phones one day uh, once, they were, once they were available. Uh, but, but we had the ability to control almost anything in the house. So we stopped selling hands-free automation. And in fact, what really took off, and this, this may not surprise you because it's a real live problem, and that is home entertainment control. Hmm. 
people let's let's jump to market problems what's the market problem well do you have a problem turning your lights on and off no i've got that covered my actually my daughter at two had that covered so yeah exactly so that's <laughs> a problem to solve in fact if you wanted to talk about the only real problem i saw with automated lighting that was solved and that was that people wanted a single button that could turn off all their lights at night I'm going to bed, turn off all my lights so I don't have to go run around the house and turn them all off. Kind of like a fancier clapper. Exactly. <laughs> Probably not your marketing program. <laughs> <laughs> but but you would need a microphone and, and speaker so that all the house could oh, hear Oh, that's the- true. Or just a really loud clap. One of those. Yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. But, but what people really had problems with, if you want to talk about a problem, and that is turning on TVs. Now, if all you have is a TV and a cable set-top box, there is nothing hard about that at all. But as soon as you put in an AV receiver, and that AV receiver is now switching sources between a DVD player and a set-top box and your Apple TV and all these. In fact, even today, it's still a challenge that people have a really hard time controlling that. Now, there are some companies like Harmony. uh, Logitech has built the Harmony Remote. Those are really good remotes. They do a fantastic job. But what they're unable to do is know if your DVD player is on or not. And so we were able to know because of the way we had built the controller, we had ways to know if that DVD player was on or not. So when you hit the power on button, I want my system to come on. If your DVD player was already on, we wouldn't send it that power command, which if it was already on and you wanted to turn it on, it would then turn it off. Was that confusing or did I get that? No, I get it because I have that problem. It's our, it's our, you can't tell whether the cable box is on. So when I do the power all button on, like, I feel like I'm, you know, things are dinging and you're like, oh, that's the wrong ding. Then it closed, turned it off. And I mean, to be fair, it's like 10 feet from where I am, but it's still, like, it is, well, it, it's a real up. problem. <laughs> I have to move my cable when I want to use my Apple TV. I keep saying to Chris, there has to be a different way. <laughs> there, there is. And, and so, so this was, this was ended up being really powerful. Uh, it worked out super well. We had a bunch of integrators that really liked it. Um, the, the big challenge for us was keeping up with all of the different equipment people wanted to install. And so if you, if you installed a Denon AV receiver and someone else was going to install a, uh, our tech or our cam AT, um, AV receiver, we've got to have controls for each one of those because we're now controlling everything. And we ended up uh, controlling tons and tons of things. And it was pretty fascinating. That was, that was an interesting part of the business. Fascinating. Okay. So then you kind of had a switch. You're on this software. So was it just a software that was on a tablet and a computer or did you have any hardware device that went with it? You didn't have like a Uber remote or anything. We had a non-Uber remote, and and so it was a really simple remote, and that was one of the keys is you wanted the remote control to be super simple so that people could use it. I've had friends, and um, one of my friend's wives says, I never touch the remote because I can't control it. I, you know, I just I, I get lost. I'm scared of it. I don't want to do it. We put our system in. We gave her the remote, and she was just thrilled that she could actually use it. She's like, I got it. Everything just works. And, and that's what you wanted was a really simple remote. But in order to make that happen, 
there was a box, a control box that sat typically behind the theater, behind the AV receiver area. Mm -hmm. And that box itself had little IR emitters going to the front or RS-232 if the boxes ran on RS-232. So that from that box, we would control everything in the theater. And that simple remote control talked to our box. All right. So what was the distribution channel for this? Same. So it has to, has to be integrators because in the end, homeowners weren't ready for this. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could have made it simple enough for homeowners. If you think about it, Logitech Harmony has, has done a nice job at making that simple enough for homeowners. Although it, it doesn't work as well as the thing we put together only because they don't have the sensing capability, but they do a really nice job with what they've done. So, so it went through integrators. In this case, it would be like home theater. Yes. And you have to know that home theater people are integrators. Yep. If you were building a new house and you went to a home theater person and you said, I'd like a lighting system put in, they would put that in. Oh, okay. So they kind of do that whole media room center. Yes. In fact, if you go to Best Buy, inside every big Best Buy is a Magnolia mm-hmm. home theater area. So those guys are actually integrators. So now, did this get to a point where it was scale and there was regular sales? Yeah, absolutely. We got to where we had regular sales <laughs> and, and it was doing relatively well. Uh, we're growing the business. And, uh, and, and, and just to keep it straight, we're not only doing theater, we're also talking to other devices. And so a pretty common thing to have happen is you sit down to watch TV, you say, I want to turn on my DVR. Wouldn't it be nice if the rooms, if the lights in that room dimmed or mm, went off, something okay, like that? Right. Oh. And so we can still control all of these other devices. It's just that theater was that driving factor. Got it. So how many employees did you guys have? Before we sold, we had 12 employees, I think. Okay. Don't hold me to that. That's my best guess. Well, if we get if somebody wants to comment the correct answer and <laughs> for Mark, you just let me know. I'll be happy to call him out on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right. So you you have twelve employees. You've got this product. You've got good relationships with integrators because they're no longer risk averse because this works and it's proven. You're starting to see some consistent sales. What makes you sell? Well, the fact that we weren't profitable meant that we were still looking for money. We're still investing our own money. And how many years in is this at this point? I think we're probably in five years. Okay. Hang on. I'm doing some quick math in my head. Yeah, about that. We ended up hiring because we knew we had something that was really cool. I mean, it was, it was, it was unique in the marketplace. It solved real problems, although we didn't use those words at the time. It solved real problems. And we ended up hiring a boutique investment banker. And so what that means is it's a couple guys who tend to do a lot of M&A business. They help companies sell and companies buy products or buy companies. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a fascinating experience to get to work with them because one of the guys I worked, he was, he was like my best friend for six months. <laughs> was Brent jealous? That's <laughs> <laughs> His name was Larry. Larry, I love Larry to death today. At the time, I couldn't stand him. Oh, he was driving me crazy because he wanted the, all the details and everything. But I got to say that he did a fantastic job at putting together the presentation to sell the company. He wrote an email that was three pages long 
And I don't know if he ever got a no. When he would send that email out to somebody, mm. I everybody said, yes, come talk to us. He was that good. It was incredible. So you guys really reached out to them because you believed in the product, but you were um, maybe five years. You just, you didn't want to be, were you looking to sell it and leave or just looking to sell it and get a regular stream of capital to, to fund? We were not looking to leave. We were actually looking to figure out how to make this more and more successful. Okay. And and our channels weren't, weren't pulling it off yet. So outside investors that could help you scale, was it purely because they would drive in additional funds or were you looking for purchasers where it was more of a strategic alignment, right? So not only did they have funds, but they had say an existing distribution channel or a marketplace or something else. Yeah. Everybody we talked to, this fit super well into product portfolio. Awesome. So what kind of companies would that be? Whatever you can share, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. I'm trying to, this has been a long time. You know, you're, you're pulling memories out. (laughs) <laughs> Deep in the histories of time. I know. I remember we talked to an AV receiver company that was trying hard to get into more of the home automation space. Um, we talked to, there were, at the time there was this thing, I think it still exists, but it's not overly common. It's essentially a, a computer where you're going to store all of your movies and all of your music. Uh, think of a media server. That's what we'll call it. A okay. media server. And these media servers were pretty hot at the time. And they seemed to be almost like the center of home automation. What people that were looking at home automation were, or at home uh, technology were driving that as well. Um, so, so there were several companies in those realms. We talked to some really big companies. I remember we talked to RCA. Um, it fascinating, fascinating. But we ended up uh, talking to, and the company we ended up selling to is called Home Director. And Home Director, at one point in its its career, was a subsidiary of IBM. Okay. And then they spun off to be their own company, and they built um, the thing that they were really good at was what's called structured wiring panels. And so structured wiring, if you're going to build a new house, what, especially back then, you would pull Ethernet through your whole house. In fact, we didn't know what was going to happen. And so we pulled people pulled so much different wire. Uh, some people pulled fiber in their house. Um, certainly we pulled Ethernet. We pulled cable. There were so many different types of wire that you would pull. So there used to be wires that used to have... <laughs> used to have wires in their house. That's shocking, isn't it? This was a long time ago. No, I was kidding. It was like, and, and, and they were about to come out with cars too. <laughs> so um, the structured wiring world, people have to pull wires to somewhere. And what they do is they pull them all to one central location. And now you need this can, this capability to interconnect them and make sense of them and keep them clean and organized. And that's what Home Director did exceptionally well. And they had built this structured wiring capability or can that that was very unique in the marketplace, was doing a great job. And then the other thing that they had, which was amazingly unique, was the CEO of Home Director had figured out a distribution channel unlike any distribution channel I've ever seen in my life. And what he did was he went to developers. And now, now they were essentially selling to new home construction. 
but they went to developers. And so developers are the people who buy these huge, huge plots of land. They end up bringing in the sewer, the electricity, they put the roads in, and they sell lots off to builders. And so builders who end up buying lots in the development have to live by whatever the developer's rules are. And what Home Director had figured out was they could convince developers that they wanted the rules to be, this is a high-tech community. And so how do you make it a high-tech community? Well, you specify Home Director structured wiring panels. And so we were essentially locked into every new home construction community that was in that development, right? So we had you know, thousands of homes that were being built. And so now, if, you, if you've ever bought a brand new house, what typically happens is you say, I want to buy that house. And then you go into the design center and they say, what carpet do you want? What cabinets do you want? What blah, blah, blah do you want? Now, not only would they say, oh, you're getting the structured wiring, but what kind of control would you like? And so it gave us this in into that marketplace that we never would have had. And, and it was pretty fascinating. And is that why you, what made you pick them? That and they made us an offer. Oh, so, well, the, you know, <laughs> the asking is good. Yes. All right. <laughs> so they made an offer. Were you excited? Was this like a big celebration day? Was this like, woohoo, let's go back to Turks and Caicos? Or? Um, so it was exciting, right? I mean, things were going to change. We, we, we had the opportunity to do something new. We got fresh blood in with our company. Um, were both you people, and Brent planning on staying? I know I was planning on staying. He did. Absolutely. He stayed. Did your friendship survive through this whole process? Oh, absolutely. He's still one of my best friends. Uh, there were times where it was stressful. Uh, I quit once. <laughs> it's like for like, how long? Like for lunch? Were you like mad and you quit or would you, did you like quit, quit? Oh, it was like 10 minutes. Okay. No, he's, he's a great guy. But being in business with a friend is challenging. There's no doubt. All right. So so then, okay, so you're excited. You purchased new blood, new resources. And then kind of talk me through how the acquisition went. How did it go from an ego perspective? How did it go from a, just logistics and structure and process perspective? Okay, too much going on there in that question. Ego perspective. Was it hard to go from a company that you co-founded uh, to work in no, it actually was really easy from my perspective. Um, our our CEO, his name is Mike. And Mike, okay, here's my favorite story about Mike, if I could tell you this. We're bringing Mike in to meet the team. We have this conference room. Everybody from my company, by the way, my company name was Destiny Networks. And so everybody from my company is in this conference room. And we had bought pizza and salad and we all went through the line. We got our food. Mike got a plate of pizza and salad. And he sat down at the end of the table and started talking. He talked for an hour. Nobody else said a word. And he never touched his food. He could talk like nobody I've ever met <laughs> in my life. <laughs> That's impressive. You've met a lot of instructors. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> he was amazing. And, and he could talk to anybody and he was so convincing. He was amazing. So I would listen to him talk to investors. I would listen to him talk to developers. The way we ended up running the company once, uh, once they acquired us was I was luckily, lucky enough that he liked me and they made me the president of the company. And so I got to run operations 
but he took on all the sales and and um, fundraising responsibilities. And so from my perspective, that was really fun because I was no longer responsible for the sales part, right? Are, are we getting the deals? Are we getting the sales? And instead, I just dealt with making sure we could execute on the things we had to execute on. So I, I, I took it as made my life a whole lot easier because I'm now doing something I'm much better at than selling. Okay. So is this it? Happy endings? Happy stories? <laughs> you never had to work a day again in your life? I mean, that's, I that's the dream, right? You sell your startup and, and you're rich and whether you stay on for a bit or not. Is that what happened? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> no. <laughs> it never works out that way, does it? Well, I'm sure, once in a while it does. Ask Zuckerberg. But what we what ended up happening was we sold the company for stock. So Home Director was a publicly held company, and we got shares of stock to do that. And if you recall, I said that Home Director's big market is the new home construction marketplace, which was absolutely booming when we were acquired. And in 2008, as you may recall, that market oh. just completely shut down. And and so Home Director, I ended up leaving Home Director. Home Director struggled for a little bit longer. They don't really exist anymore, as as you might guess. It was th- those were just really tough yep. times for a company that was going to focus on new home construction. Does your core technology exist in some form as part of some product? Or- no, but. There was a different company. While Destiny Network still existed, we were at a trade show showing off our our software, our capabilities. And I remember meeting a couple guys that were about to go start a different company. And their company they started was called Control 4. And what they ended up doing was the same thing we did in terms of a configurable software application. And their company still exists and actually is thriving today. They did a really, really nice job. And here's the reason they succeeded where we didn't. We were focused on home control. And if you think about it, we might get $1,000 a home to sell a controller. But we also got all the headaches and all the work and all the setup and all the support. And what what Control 4 ended up doing was not only selling that controller, but they also started selling other components. So they were selling light switches and they were selling uh, thermostats and other things that you could put into the house. And what that meant was they were getting way more than $1,000 a house. I thought you were going to say they went after the business market. And that's why they were successful. But this makes sense too, where they add to the, the universe of things that they sell. All said, all said and done, many years, right? Lots of learnings. Would you do it again? If knowing what you know now, would you go back and go through it again? Yes, I would. And I have to say the ending was one of the most painful periods of my life. I mean, truly devastating. I was, you know, not, not that we ever want to talk about these things, but I was actually in a period of depression and, and I had to find a way to fight myself out of that. And, and it was just not fun. But after coming out of the depression and looking back at where I am today, I, I wouldn't know anywhere near what I know if I hadn't been through that. And I think that that people forget this part of a startup. It is a much more emotional tie to a, a job than you have anywhere else, right? I mean, this is your 
your your baby and you put in a lot more than just a lot of hard work you put in a, a lot of emotion and blood sweat and tears and so the success or failures of that can resonate I mean it can be hard when a job doesn't work period but I think there is I think it is a, a very true statement that there's a lot more to that when uh, when it's something you've grown from the ground up yeah absolutely it was amazingly painful when it all fell apart when everything went away and uh, and I kept saying to myself, just, you know, uh, I, I kept saying to myself, who would hire a failed CEO, right? I mean, what, what could I do for a living? And, and it was really challenging to, to pull myself out of that because I was so involved, so invested in this company. That was seven years of my life. Well, if you think about it, there's more failed CEOs than there are successful ones, right? At least the first time, so. You're in, you're in some good company. <laughs> well, luckily, it doesn't bother me anymore. Right. <laughs> and luckily, it all led to you coming here. So you would do it again. But what, um, knowing everything you know now, what would you do differently? Wow. So lots of different things. I think the whole home control space is fascinating. We were probably too far ahead of our time. But we were trying to solve the big problem as opposed to doing little pieces of the problem. If you look at what's successful today, you see things like the Nest thermostat is really successful or the Ring doorbell is really successful. And I think of these as point products or um, Chamberlain has an automatic garage door now so that you can control your garage door from your phone. So, so I think of these as point products in the sense that we put something in and now I'm controlling that and talking to it. There are software applications like if this, then that, that you could use to tie those things together with each other and make it so when I do this, that over there happens. And, and you can make all that fly. But it really has to start at this point product. And we came out with saying, what you really need is an operating system for the house. And that's really what we ended up building was this operating system for the house, which is a much tougher thing so product-wise, I think that we didn't understand what the market really needed at the time because nobody was going to buy this operating system. Not, uh, nobody. Not enough people were going to buy the, an operating system for the house where you see tons and tons of people saying, oh, I'm going to buy a ring doorbell to solve this specific problem. All right. Anything else you want to share about your, your little entrepreneur background? It was, it was an amazing time. I absolutely loved it. Having my own company, um, I mean, it wasn't my company, it was mine and Brent's and we had another founder as well, but uh, it, it was just an incredible experience. I, I would love to do it again. Who knows what the future holds, Mark? Who knows? Who knows? All right, Mark, it is always great to have you on the podcast. I can't wait till we do it again. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. <laughs>